Well, wherever you find yourself today in the world, whatever time of day it is, um, welcome along to the Generation Podcast. Uh, my name is Martin, and I'll be your host um, today. Um, and we want to say thank you for choosing to listen to the Generation Podcast. Uh, here we like to think about um, God's purposes in his world, about the, the beauty of Jesus and what it means for us as disciples of Jesus to uh, share that good news uh, which he uh, has to offer to uh, people throughout the world. Today we are joined um, by uh, Sarah Hoskins. Um, I've had the privilege to get to meet Sarah a, a number of times. Um, Sarah has been involved in ministry in uh, Southeast Asia um, for a number of years uh, and has recently completed a master's uh, looking at uh, theology and mission at All Nations Christian College. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to join with us today. Um, we're really looking forward to getting to hear what the Lord has to say uh, to us through you um, today. Great, it's great to join you, Martin. Not a problem. Um, can I just ask briefly, because uh, some people uh, may know who you are, um, but I'm guessing most people may not know who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, can you just give us a bit of an introduction as to, you know, who are you, um, your, your your life uh, mm -hmm. growing up, um, and maybe how you uh, came to know the Lord Jesus? Yeah, well, um, as you said, I'm Sarah. I'm living in the UK at the moment, and you probably tell that I'm English. Uh, I joined OMF International in 2008, so that's 13 years ago. I lived in one country, which we will talk about, I think, a little bit later. Um, but I actually had been planning to be living in Thailand at the moment, but like many people, my plans have changed in the last year. So I'm currently living in Cambridge, learning Thai on Zoom, which is amazing, um, thanks to a very uh, lovely Thai teacher in Thailand. Things I'm passionate about, which I probably get to enjoy a bit more of by being in the UK, are family and friends and cats. I have a cat that I brought back from Asia with me, who now lives um, in England. And I love food. Um, and I love cooking and I love eating Asian food. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to do that um, in many countries. So, yeah, I've been uh, a believer since I was in my teenage years came from a kind of interesting um, story of how that came to be. My, my parents were not uh, Christians, but they used to take myself and my brother and sister to church and leave us at Sunday school and go back to uh, for um, a lion. So anyone who thinks that you, <laughs> uh, you might be worried about who's attending your Sunday school, yeah, it's so not it's, always a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a little bit of babysitting service is never Indeed. Uh, not a bad thing. I think along the way, we were, we were given the choice about uh, continuing on, but I kept on going to church. Um, and when I got to about 13, uh, we, I was attending a fairly liberal Anglican church. So went uh, forward for confirmation. And in the confirmation classes, all the things that were, um, were being talked about, really, I was just really aware that they weren't answering the questions that I thought I'd probably need to, to address if I was going to be confirmed. And... I suppose I was probably a bit of a um, probing kind of teenager who needed to ask these questions, which is probably a good thing. And so I actually went and got a Bible. We weren't using the Bible in these confirmation classes. And I went and got a Bible and started reading it. I'm old enough. People can't see me in person to guess this, but I'm old enough to have had a fairly good awareness of what it meant to be a Christian because of my generation and what we were still taught at school at that time. Um, so when I was reading um, various parts of the Bible, it was a bit more of what I understood started to become real in my heart. And I guess because of my 
personality. I kind of have a bit of an it's all or nothing. And I think I could see that as I read what Jesus was asking of people. If I was believing this in my heart, it really needed to be something that really made a big difference to my life or no difference at all. Um, and I think that was a gradual thing for me. It wasn't, it wasn't a moment of conversion. It wasn't until I got to university and got into a good church there that I had any real discipleship. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's been something that's been important to me to realise that it is God who calls us. He speaks to us through his word reveals himself to us um, and that we can come to a a saving relationship in Jesus um, through that. Um, And yeah, I think that's through, because of that, I do highly value God's word and its power to change lives. It's so beautiful to hear (laughs) that, Sarah. Um, It's, isn't it amazing that, you know, it's, it's through the simple, things like reading mm-hmm. God's word that such beautiful um life-giving transformation takes place yeah we, we yeah. hear what Jesus has to say and uh, you know I, I I can totally sympathize with you <laughs> it was very much my story either this was all true or it was mm-hmm. wasn't um and it's beautiful just to, to to hear you know God God confirming that in your life as well yeah did that the good news is also that um, all of my parents weren't uh, believers then they have now both become Christians so it's really great to have uh, parents who know and love Jesus and are supportive of what I do now as well. That's beautiful to hear. Um, really beautiful to hear. Now, you did mention one of your passions. Um, mm. Stop on cats. I'm going to stop on food. <laughs> so if, there, if there are, if there were, uh, I'm just thinking. Sometimes the two cross over in Asia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you just off the top of your head, what would be two or three Asian dishes you would say people have? Mm. Oh, I love kind of the Chinese crispy pork, you know, that kind of roasted um, pork. I I went to uh, the first wedding I went to in Asia. They had this suckling pig on the table on the table. And I had to really restrain uh, myself from just continuing to eat it and be polite enough to hold back. So that's uh, amazing. I think I like any sort of tasty noodle dish. And um, I can't really talk about the specific country I was in, but uh, the variety of amazing food there. And I think diversity of food and freshness of ingredients and just trying new things. It's just um, incredible. So uh, (laughs) a Chinese pork dish and any Mm. form of noodle. (laughs) Yeah, any form of noodle. The one thing I did um, gain a love for in Asia, which um, I haven't been able to satisfy being back in the UK, is for tofu. Oh. lovely fried tofu and the different ways it's eaten in Asia. Um, I could consider being a vegetarian or vegan uh, based on the... Well, it's a, it's, a good job that it, it's a good job that it's me who's asking the questions today because if it was Jennifer, <laughs> she would have run out the room by now. So for me, <laughs> Jennifer is my wife uh, so, uh, and she, she does not have a love for the tofu. So <laughs> there we go. There are, there are, there are three things. The Chinese, Chinese pork, uh, noodle dishes and tofu. Mm. Let's get back to a little bit more serious um, things. Uh, you have served uh, cross-culturally uh, with OMF um, since mm-hmm. 2008, was that? You yes, said that's right. That? So, yeah. uh, since 2008. Um, could you just give us a little bit of an insight into some of the main lessons that you have learned uh, from your experience serving cross-culturally during that time? Yeah. I was uh, based in Asia for just over 10 years, been back in the UK for um, just over two now. and. Uh, it's funny because I think even now looking back, I'm realising the lessons that I've learned and how I've been changed by that e- even more so as I look back. But I think 
one of the first things that I think I realized in the first few years in, in Asia, and it was a gradual lesson, but certainly was um, solidified by having periods when really nothing was happen, happening. You know, you're, you're there thinking you're meant to be doing amazing ministry in this expectation and this expectation for you churches that you'd have something to report. But I was literally had nothing. I was praying and then I would sit there and think, what else shall I do today? Apart from spending time with friends and befriending them. There was a lot that um, happened and a lot of people I knew left the country. And, um, and it really brought me back to thinking, what's, what's it all about? What's it, you know, what, what am I here for? And I think the way that I would sum it up is just realizing that Jesus is worth it. It's, it's just him. There's nothing else that we're there to do. Um, we're there to bring people to a saving relationship with him. That's great. But that's not why um, you're there. It's to glorify God, to worship him. It's an act of worship. And I think it, it, those uh, that classic quote from John Piper about mission exists because worship doesn't. Um, we are we are meant to be people who are going to be worshipping for all eternity. And that, that picture in Revelation 7 when all nations, tribes, and tongues are worshiping um, the Lamb. And I think that's that's really kind of getting into that motivation, understanding that worship of the one who is worth it is really um, what it all came down to. And it's sort of learning that lesson, learning that as a major motivation. And that can't be changed, can it, by any circumstances. And then seeing that the mission is inviting people in to be part of that worship. And we want to invite them in not just because it's good for them, uh, but because Jesus is worthy of having more people worshipping him. So I guess that's been one of the biggest lessons, and I hope that's a lesson that continues to give me passion to get up and do things that is at the moment sitting at a desk and um, continuing it in that, in that way of worshipping it every day in my life and the way I, that I live and the things I do for him. And then there's all the kind of the other stuff is hard to kind of group together because I've sort of I would consider it the things I've kind of learned along the journey of serving him. And I guess I have learned this a lot more by looking back, having been back in the UK and the time that I've been studying, um, which I know we'll talk about in a moment, but realizing just how much I was changed by the experiences of being in Asia. I guess I went with quite an attitude of that. I probably didn't realize how much I thought I was bringing answers. I was bringing the way to do it. I was going to um, to bring the best way to do mission. And then I got to a country where I found that the church existed. It wasn't necessarily easy to work alongside, um, but actually God was already at work. He was working in an amazing way and um, in in his church. So I couldn't separate myself out from being part of that. And that in that church were people who really loved Jesus. And so I ended up working very differently than I expected. I expected to do things that were probably a bit more pioneer, directed at um, evangelism with individuals and bringing people together. OMF, as people may well know, we're focusing on church planting. But that looks very different when you've already got a church. So um, just learning to adapt and respond. And now, because of my own experience, and also I think it's, um, it is generally important that we should really be allowing what's happening locally to decide what we do rather than going with pre, um, pre-existing ideas about what we think we can do. And, and I went, um, I was a GP in the UK, so I was going with sort of ideas about if I could do something that was related to the medical world. But I could only let 
the the way that that worked out to be shaped by what was happening there and working out what God was doing there and what particular thing he he would fit me into and allow him to shape that. And I think that within that, the, the amazing thing is just what comes out of being able to work together with um, local believers as well. And these ideas that kind of come under that kind of heading of partnership. But when I really look back at it, I think partnership still doesn't quite sum up what it means to work together and to be real. Um, I guess those verses that Paul used about being partners in the gospel, I'm sure there's some sort of deep um, <laughs> um, interpretation of the Greek that sums up this. But for me, I, I kind of say, oh, partnership isn't enough. I want to talk about, you know, people talk about being friends and befriending people. But actually, the picture of family is more. These are people who, are the th- the, there were three key ladies who I um, worked with. We um the main thing that I did with them, we did um, a training for we did training for churches so that believers could be doing end of life care in the home, um, going out into their communities and um, sharing and sharing Jesus as I did that. But as we worked together, we just you know we're family. And I, I look back now and you know with some regret and repentance about even then still trying to be in charge, still trying to drive things my way according to the ideas that I wanted, but just also realising that I was not in charge, that we were growing together, that we were discipling each other, we were being changed together, the Holy Spirit was active in all of us, and not more so in me, (laughs) but just (laughs) as much so and maybe more so in in them, Um, but that we're walking together. And um, I think that's the really beautiful thing. We're called to work together as God's people, aren't we? And we we can't do it alone. There are plenty of images of that. That's really great, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to say as well, thank you for your your honesty in that. Um, mm. just, uh, being able to, to share with us, looking back with a degree of repentance, saying, do you know what, Lord, maybe I didn't do this as 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 much as a, in, in an attitude which is as honouring to you as it should have been and as honouring mm. to brothers and sisters as it should have been. Um, that that in itself is a beautiful <laughs> lesson for anyone uh, listening, um, for us to, to, to grow and to cultivate that sort mm-hmm. of heart. As we look back, uh, we can learn, you know, yeah. what it means for us to turn back again and say, no, Lord, actually, I need to change and be changed by you in this. Yeah, I'm sure this is what Paul means when he says we, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Yeah. We, we have to keep on... <laughs> being cracked and reformed yeah um i know that um you've recently completed studying a master's Mm. at all nations um christian college um for those listening who don't know of the college the college is uh, based in england uh, near the south of england is that correct yes it's in hertfordshire so just north of london yeah so just outside london um can you just explain you know why, why, why did you do a master's at All Nations? And, <laughs> and what was it like? And, and maybe um, just introduce kind of what you went on to, to study and then we can mm. unpack some of that a little bit. Yeah, I sometimes ask myself that question because I kind of pretty much landed back in the UK and went straight into the studies. So, and I wouldn't recommend that. It is good to have some time to transition. Um, so I did that um, during a one-year um, period of study. So it was intense at times. I already knew I'd actually studied at All Nations before going to Asia. I actually did um, the BA course over two years. They have a lot of courses. And I think I knew already how valuable it was to have done some preparation. And it's not just the sort of formal um, theological stu- study, but being 
um, prepared and changed. I think living in community and going through those changes were really valuable um, before going to Asia. And I would recommend people to think about that if they're going into a cross-cultural situation. But after 10 years, I think that the thing that it was valuable for me to, to do was to take this time to really step back and have that time to reflect, um, see how I'd grown myself. But also I had I had so many things that you just didn't get, I didn't get to process, didn't get to, to think through. I think it's an enormous privilege to have had that time. It was one year full-time course for me it's possible to do most people actually do it more um, part-time perhaps alongside studying you mentioned before about that kind of looking back and learning um, from being able to sort of look at my own heart and uh, grow and repent and reflect but I was really blessed by being in a group of so many different people from different nations doing the, the, the course and in different settings and learning from each other in that um, it brings so many perspectives, so many voices, and I think that was incredibly valuable in all the different parts of the courses of, of that. So I think that it really has helped to strengthen some of my theological thinking in in what I'm in, being involved in, what I continue to be involved in, involved in in mission. And I I really think that's important for us to have those foundations. I guess one of my passions is that, that we get that interaction between practice and theology, and that they're not never divorced from each other if someone's main area is in theology that they're knowing what's going on in practice. But if we're doing practice, our theology isn't just one course of study, it's something that continues to be grow, to grow and be shaped by that. Um, so it gave me that real opportunity to, to do that. And I think one of the other things that was a real um, strength of the course for me was the opportunity to do some studies in um, community development and project um, planning. So I did a particular stream as a sort of overall missiology degree, but they have different specialist streams and I took the transformational development stream. And so this was something that I could see a gap um, in, for, my own ex, for my own experience and looking ahead from what I would be involved in. I was able to do some um, specialist modules in community development project planning. And that's really helped for, for what I'm supporting people in, um, in the future as well. So that was good. And then my dissertation was around specific about questions in OMF, about how we do mission thinking um, about specific um, things like um, in that and interviewing colleagues about their own practice and bringing some things together. I guess some things I felt I probably needed to say <laughs> and um, form as a, as a cohesive thought um, and coming up with a bit of a model about it's sort of things I've talked about, having some good theology, thinking about how we do things in practice and what things are priorities as we do mission in, in new ways as well. Uh, something I just want to probe mm. on other, uh, Sarah, is, yeah. you know, you've been involved in cross-cultural ministry and mission. Mm. Why, why, why should people who are traditionally referred to as missionaries, why should they care about further study? Shouldn't they be getting out there and getting on with the actual work and, and pressing on with what's um, most important? Um, mm -hmm. How would you respond to that? Um, and how would you maybe encourage people to, to, to see the link between um, thinking and, and practice? Mm, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I think that my situation of taking a whole year was definitely one of privilege. I, it was, I had very generous um, supporting partner churches and OMF gave me a sabbatical to do it. So that 
that model might not be something that's possible for everybody. But I think it is this interaction of um, God's word and what we do. And we, as mature Christians, we can't just be having um, spiritual milk. We need to be looking at those bigger questions that God's word raises for what we're doing today in mission and um, constantly coming back to it and saying, we, it's, you know, the whole um, of the Bible is written in a contextual way. It's written for the people of that time. So we've always got to be interacting with it and asking what that means for us today. There's the unchanging nature of all that God has done for the world. But um, if we're not aware of what that means um, for us today, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, what that, the sort of contemporary applications. So there's the unchanging nature of mission. That's true, but learning so much from around the world in that um, I've been really blessed by, in, in my studies, being able to take time to read what Asian mission theologians are saying and thinking. It's really helped, you know, it's completely shifted my thinking. It's also opened my eyes to the ideas of my Western worldview and the way that I look at things in such an individual way. I couldn't quite put my finger on some of those things when I was in Asia. Um, and yet I can reflect on that more easily if I had taken that time out um, to look at that. But even in the in the midst of doing, we still need to be spending our time in God's word in, in a way that's not just sort of for my personal devotional spirituality, but in the way that shapes shapes the way that we serve him um, day to day. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I was at something and it was uh, it was a, a pastor's conference and the, the the person who was speaking made the point that leaders are readers. Um, mm, yes, I've heard that one before. This, this, this point of, you know, we, we do need to engage um, our heart and our head and mm. we need to be thinking through what does this timeless truth of the gospel look like with timely application in the real world and what it may look like in application within an urban setting within the UK and a small village in Scotland, it may look different. Uh, It looks like uh, in a a major city in Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. different in another major city in Southeast Asia. And yeah, I, I think that's a really helpful thing you've been able to just explain to us is that our practice and our thinking have to be worked out together. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really important thing for us to, to, to at least be in conversation of, 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 of seeking to um, develop that, that balance, even if we don't get it. And I think, you know, there's always the aspect that we are, we need to be the body of Christ in building each other up and uh, learning from each other, but particularly thinking that we're a world church as well. And yeah. um, we need to, it actually takes some effort to hear the ideas and voices from people in places where they don't get as much um, access to um, the res- to sharing ideas and resources. And I, I think that we often need to make specific efforts to do that, to listen and to, to be changed by uh, brothers and sisters, often in the majority world as well. Yeah. Sarah, something that I've always appreciated um, about you, even in the the short time that we got to uh, spend with you in your house in Southeast Asia, uh, and just in conversations since, is that the fact that you have uh, 
a clear love for Christ's lordship and everything to do with life. Um, the section that comes to mind uh, is that bit in Colossians where all things uh, are mm, brought under the yeah brought under um, the lordship of the Lord uh, mm. uh, Jesus. And yeah, you have recently taken up a role within WMF, yeah, which kind of is developing along these lines, looking at yeah. what does the lordship of Christ mean for us as um, people involved in God's mission in the world. Um, could you just give us a bit of an insight into kind of what what's coming uh, mm-hmm. in the future for you? <laughs> uh, I know, obviously, as a result of the pandemic, none of us really... <laughs> yes, with any we're learning to change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what are some of the things that possibly you're planning to do in the coming mm-hmm. years and, and what might that look like? Yeah, I mean, my role is a very broadly named role. I'm um, working in integral mission, and some people will know that term, some people won't, but it, it kind of is covered by what you were saying, which which areas of life come under the lordship of Christ, and um, I say all of it. <laughs> so in some ways, integral mission is a helpful term because we're saying that it is integral, it's comprehensive, it's about everything. Um, so if we understand mission to be that in some ways, integral mission is mission. They, I like the um, Hudson Taylor uh, quote that was well known, that, and of course Hudson Taylor was the OMF uh, founder, so we like to quote him where we can, uh, that Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. And then I think that, so that takes us to think about what, what do we think Christ's Lordship is about? And I think then that connects into ideas of the kingdom of God. Um, and from the view of mission and practice of mission, I think this whole influence across all things and what it what it includes, and therefore what mission includes, um, and we look and we take that kingdom perspective. It, it really broadens our views and deepens them. I think as well that we those verses from Colossians one you mentioned um, means that we can look at God's redemptive purposes for, as being about all things. So amazingly, it involves um, our individual salvation and a guarantee of hope for heaven. But it's so much more than that as well. And I think that it's it's a shame to reduce it to just that Christ on the cross did did um, a lot more than sort out us individually. He sorted out everything that um, went wrong at the fall. And so I think when when we look at mission. Um, and what it includes, then we're talking about individuals, and we're talking then we're talking about communities and relationships and restored relationships. What this means for society and political issues, and appropriate responses to that, social justice issues, and more widely thinking about creation and caring for the whole of creation. That is appropriate concern for God's people to be. Um, to see his his creation and the dreadful state of the environment um, to be addressed by his church and his people. So that's kind of the, the broad remit. And then working that out for me and what I'm doing. Um, well, I'm part of working with my colleagues um, across OMF. We're still focused on seeing church and church movements, mission movements, um, which means that the churches we're thinking about should, we want to be planting churches that reflect this heart of um, God's kingdom values that um, affect the way that we do evangelism, the way that we're teaching 
uh, God's word, the concerns that we have. So if we're looking at churches that are truly biblical, they need to reflect all of these things. We're not just making individual disciples who are faithful um, and obedient to Christ, but being faithful and obedient to Christ, as it says in the Great Commission, is, is obeying everything that he's taught. And he taught us to love and care for the poor and be concerned for the poor and to be concerned for the injustices in the world and the marginalised. And we can see a care for creation throughout God's word. So those things become priorities too. And so when we look at the wholeness of God's mission and what God's church should be engaged with in mission, we're looking at a pretty big um, scope to that. But it's also exciting, I think, because that means the good news of the kingdom of God is really good news for the whole world. Um, and understanding that as being good news for now as well as the future. I think that's an incredible thing. So for me, practically working that out, I'm trying to um, find ways of doing this in, in creative ways now that I'm in the UK and doing this virtually rather than being able to see people in person. But talking to people who are starting new ministries, people who are a bit like I was many years ago thinking, OK, I'm in a new place. It looks like this. What do I do here? And helping them think through, have they really thought through some of the biblical foundations of that? Have they thought through the theology like we were talking about? Is that going to affect decisions you make? Um, and what and encouraging prayer and reflection. Love in the Cape Town commitment, they include the words discerning a lot in that. Um, that we need to be very discerning, which I think means prayerful, um, time with God and reading his words, learning from others as we look to find ways that God's kingdom um, is is worked out in each setting. Um, one of the things I'm also excited about trying to encourage people to do is to think about doing, making sure we do that with our um, local brothers and sisters. Um, so we're not coming, as I said, you know, with that kind of expectation that we know what to do, but um, partnering with local churches, partnering together as um, people look for kind of very specific context-driven responses. So it's still fairly early days. I've also got some specific responsibilities in creation care. So we're trying to work out how to, um, to be, as an organisation, um, we've made really good advances in thinking about how to be an environmentally um, conscious organisation and take um, seriously the stewardship of God's earth as we, as we work out just day-to-day ministry but also how do we do creation care in our uh, ministry that speaks to people about the creator god um, and communicates to to them who he is and brings them into a relationship with him and his son so that's kind of vague because it's still we're still work i'm still working that out it's a fairly new role it's been um restricted in some in many ways but not in every way by um being in the uk not not in asia but actually that's helped me think about what's what to prioritize and how to be creative yeah and that god and god isn't hindered by these things yeah and it sounds like such a an exciting uh, and also mm. expansive role um and i think just the, the use of that word discerning um mm. that certainly is something we would want to um pray for you <laughs> it's the god <laughs> give you the discernment to know what to um to look uh to look into and to, to pursue going forward um possibly not everyone would be convinced about this mm-hmm. so why why should believers care about integral mission we've talked yeah. touched on some um passages from the bible colossians one being one of the mm-hmm. main ones um why, why should 
why should believers in Jesus care about integral mission? Yeah, I mean, I think it is, it, for me, it's been formed over time by reflecting on God's word and, and growing in my understanding of it. Um, I'm, I've always been convinced that Jesus is the hope of the world and that uh, we need to tell people about him so they come to a saving faith in him. But it is this kind of this the sort of things I've already referred to, which we don't have the, the time to explore all of them. But just that when we look at the good news that Jesus talked about, the good news of the kingdom that he preached and proclaimed, what he was talking about is something so big. And as I've looked at that and I've sort of stepped into these things that, um, as you say, not everyone would agree with and I think it's great. We're a mixture of people who should uh, challenge each other. We should be iron sharpening iron. But to me, looking at the good news that Jesus talked about and spending time looking about it revealed in him and his life and his death and resurrection and ascension. And I love spending time looking through particularly Luke's gospel is a particular favorite for me. It might be because I was a medic. And, um, but when I look at the kingdom of God, that's um, that he talked about, that he preached, and he wanted us to understand, there's still so much richness and depth. And to me, it makes me love Jesus more. It makes me love his good news more. It makes me realise how big and wide and deep that good news is. When I'm still sitting here considering a big tree outside my house, that, um, I, and I, I know that you know, when Jesus says the good news is like a mustard seed that grows into a tree and the birds land in its branches, I'm still challenge to think about how profound his kingdom is when I look at what that means and that his good news is real today um it's experienced it should be changing our lives today it shouldn't be something that just is like put in an envelope like a will <laughs> for the future um it's so to me just the effect of its own working out in my life and having its effect in me I'm I'm assured of the reality of of this in many ways that this is strong theology that is that results in a um, deeper working out of um, our salvation and I've seen that in the lives of the people that, that I've ministered with and just that it makes me love his mission it makes me love the kingdom of God made real mm. in Christ and in his presence and that has come into history right now. Mm. Um, I always think of those verses, um, 1 Corinthians 15, when uh, Paul says we should be pitied if we only have hope for this life. Um, but I think we'd be pitied if we only just had hope for the life to come. We've got, we've got both. Mm. Um, so I, I think that, to me, is it, it gives us hopeful lives now as, that are filled with hope for the future um, when Jesus returns. So... I th and I think lastly, it makes me love the community that's, that forms in his kingdom as part of his kingdom people. It makes me see his church as part of that and understanding the kingdom of God as that um, reality in his church right now and seeing people join that community as a working out of his kingdom. Um, I think all those things makes me think that... Um, it would take me a, a lot of convincing from, <laughs> for me to see things in any other way, because I think that being full of the Holy Spirit of Jesus and full of excitement about his kingdom I think keeps, keeps me 
um, keeps me going. Yeah. We, we were we were just talking before we um, mm. we started recording, Sarah, um, uh, thinking a little bit about the Psalms and God's lordship over creation. Yeah. Um, that was off the back of something that had been reading <laughs> earlier on this morning. Um, so uh, Jamie Grant, who is a um, lecturer in biblical studies, uh, particularly Old Testament and, and mission at Highland Theological College, he has uh, a great little um, great little insight um, thinking about the Psalms and, and God's um, kingship over creation. He says there's, of course, a lot of biblical reasons for protection, preservation, and care of the environment, but this is one of the less well-recognized ones amongst Christians. The natural environment fulfills an apologetic role. Our desire should be to keep that voice as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. Because the earth so clearly um, resounds to the praise of God's glory. Creation um speaks so clearly of the fact that there is a creator i love the way that he draws that sort of thing out of it has an apologetic purpose and so surely as god speaks we want to be able to point to the one who actually made all the things so that surely means there has to be a degree to which we look after that which has been made Uh, indeed yeah. yeah it's really um really great and um yeah and i think that's what we get with this lordship grasping the lordship of christ and that it's just i mean it's it's higher and wider and deeper than we can grasp but we can keep on pushing into it and um yeah when the, the angels long to look into these things and we get something of it absolutely Sarah, um, Mm. our our time's gone. Um, Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your uh, busy schedule just now um, in setting up a new role, a new ministry, and in changing uh, in strange circumstances. We really do appreciate you taking the time out uh, and for encouraging us um, as a sister, as part of the family of God's people uh, involved in his missing. uh, We want to just say thank you to you. Uh, It's been great. Thank you. It's been good to be with you.